Déjame decirte Se ve que él te trata bien Que es todo un caballero Pero eso no cambiará Que yo llegué primero Sé que te va a ir bien Pero no te quiere como yo te quiero Puede que no te haga falta nada Aparentemente nada Hawaii de Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Disney animations in Canto, and I'm happy to be joined by animation correspondent Joe Morgan. Joe, thanks for coming back for the first time since, I guess, Luca. How's it going? Good, Josh. Happy to be back. I'm very glad you're here as well. And also joining us for the for the first time, I guess, since um, May or so when we talked about Shiva Baby, it's my friend Denise Sackerman. Denise, how's it going? Great. Sunday night. We've got work tomorrow, but we're going to talk about it. Oh, really wow. Y- you really had to go there already. I was I'm like, so I, I was in I was in like such <laughs> a good scaries, mood. The Sunday scary started hitting and I the, figured the, we, we should talk about the elf in the room. The worst Sunday scaries <laughs> of like any year because like we've all like been at like various stages of checked out from work in the last two weeks. So like, I mean, I actually yeah. didn't take that much PTO. I did have like an, an 11 day trip to Philadelphia to see my grandpa. Cause that got extended when my trip to New York didn't happen. Cause it was going to be like a week there and then a week in New York. And I just like hung out there, but I like worked for my grandpa's kitchen table, but it was still like nice and different to like not be in the office. And now you just had to remind me of where I'm going to be in 12 hours. And he's um, <laughs> what a great start. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so no, Encanto is the uh, newest movie, as I mentioned from Disney animation, kind of like their, their other big release this year, aside from uh, Raya and the last dragon, it is uh, directed by Jared Bush and Byron Howard and uh, written by Sharice Castro Smith and Jared Bush with uh, songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda. The movie is about a young girl named Mirabelle and her family living in the mountains of Columbia. They live in a in kind of an enchanted sentient house that came to be uh, 50 years before the main events of this movie when uh, Mirabelle's grandmother, Alma, was, you know, uh, escaping some uh, strife uh, from some, you know, bad dudes and her husband, uh, lost his life, uh, sacrificing himself to save Alma and their three, uh, triplet children, Julieta, Peppa, and Bruno. Uh, their house, as like I said, becomes sentient. It ends up kind of like there's, it's kind of powered by an eternal flame candle. It, you know, uh, bestows power upon all of the new members of their family. And those members of the family uh, use their powers to foster health and wellness and uh, riches upon the village that sprouts up around it. And kind of the way they do that is, you know, every time one of the kids in the family comes of age, they have a ceremony where uh, each of the Kids get kids gets a new power via a uh, their own special room in the house that kind of opens up its into its new world. But the thing is, Mirabelle, when she had her ceremony a few years before the events of this movie, she ended up not getting a power and has been treated as a bit of an outcast in her family. Uh, when one of her uh, younger cousins uh, gets a power that allows him to uh, talk with animals. She then starts seeing different kind of cracks in the foundation of this house. The rest of the family doesn't really see it as clearly and, you know, then begins to treat her not as nicely. And she has to investigate so she can kind of save this house before it, you know, before it's too late. Denise, I want to kind of start with you first and ask you about this movie. Uh, One, I should say, uh, Denise's uh, Denise's father is Colombian. So uh, you you can come at this from a different perspective than the the two other gringos here on this podcast. I'm wondering, uh, one, 
as you're watching a movie like this, I don't even actually know if you liked it. I haven't even really asked you. I'm assuming you were able to get something out of it or not. So I'm wondering, how are you able to appreciate this just, you know, as, as a movie, if you had not even had that personal connection to it, do you think you would have really kind of grasped onto the story of this? But did you also kind of uh, get something out of it? Just because I'm guessing it's not every day that like, you know, uh, people of Colombian descent kind of just get any kind of fun movie to watch that's not about, you know, like, I don't know, Narcos. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because so much of this film is, I think Coco is maybe my closest reference in Mm -hmm. terms of Latin American culture and a Disney film. And that was so heavily influenced by by Mexican lore and Mexican culture. And I think so much of this film has been really well researched. And you can tell it's a real love letter to Colombia as a country. Um, The foods that are featured in the movie as you would think like a background or a footnote or are things like buñuelos which are you know like typical colombian cuisine the 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 sort of magical realism that gabriel garcia marquez created um and he's kind of like the the legend of colombian literature mm-hmm. um the music by carlos vives and that sort of thing like every little detail has been really Uh, meticulously thought out. And I really appreciated that because I think you can tell how many people were, you know, of Colombian descent who worked on this film, but who may not have been, but really fell in love. And I know that they, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I think said that they went to scout, um, you know, the location and went to Colombia in 2018 Mm. uh, to really understand and immerse themselves into the culture. And I think there are little nuances that maybe we'll get into later that actually reflected, you know, something that, um, you know, Mirabelle's dad said, I was like, oh my God, my dad makes the same expression. So I just think it's really funny how um, you can really see um, parts of your own family or, or, or your own culture reflected back to you. So I, I, I think I had my, um, no film is perfect. And I had some thoughts overall about uh, story structure, but I think it was, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It was a, a very enjoyable hour and 40. Well, Joe, I'm curious uh, from talking to you, because like I, even just hearing Denise rattle off a few of those Colombian foods right there, like that stuff all went over my head as I was watching it. And I, I, I did not I did not really do my do my research at all going in. I went in blind, just not knowing anything beyond its setting. And I'm and I'm curious, uh, just as someone that probably I know from doing a lot of these podcasts on the animated movies with you, you do have a better eye for detail when it comes to kind of picking up on these worlds that are created in movies like this, such as than I do. So I'm curious, uh, even as someone that might not have known have like a deep knowledge of a lot of the uh colombian things that like the filmmakers were very cognizant of were you were you, did you have what did you think of the world that they created and I'm, I'm curious like how it felt as a i don't know and another thing i want to ask you and i know you had a point you were going to want to that we might make later on with respect to something like ryan the last dragon but when we were talking about it beforehand you had said that like oh i'm i'm gonna have some kind of thought on that and then when we talked about ryan the last dragon after that uh y- y- your first question to me as to my thoughts on that was oh did it feel like a disney movie to you and i guess that's something that like you probably are a little more aware of going into movies like this than i am with respect to like oh does this feel like a disney movie does this feel like a pixar movie something like that so that's something i think that you have in your head that I just don't really have in my head when I go into something like this. So I guess that's my really long way of asking, like, how did this kind of fit into like, you know, what you think of when you think of a Disney movie and did it feel like a fitting entry into that library, I guess? Yeah, I was going to say like, um, well, first of all, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I, um, it felt like a Disney movie in the sense that um, it really kind of embraces the musical format, right? Like, I feel like one of your staples of your average Disney princess, maybe where, you know, Maribel, maybe not necessarily like an actual, like monarchy style princess, but, you know, is, you know, that this, it's a movie that really embraces music as a form of storytelling. And, 
I think one of the things that bumped me about Ryan the Last Dragon this year and kind of bumps me a lot of, about a lot of the Disney animation that isn't musical is it sort of has a little more story problems because of it. Because I think Disney as a studio does musical storytelling really well. And I mean, you think of like this movie in particular, like um, we don't talk about Bruno as like just a show-stopping number that is incredible and gives you so much exposition and important family lore in a very entertaining fashion. So um, yeah, with all that said, it kind of felt like a return to form for them within the year, even though there is a lot of crossover in the production crews between the two movies. It definitely felt more of the studio, which I appreciated. And then, um, yeah, and I, I, I'll mention it now because I forget it, but my animation nerd moment was when Mary Bell's about to leave her bedroom at the beginning of the movie and she picks the thread off her dress. And I'm mm. just like, and I was like, oh my gosh, like the fact that they rendered that, it looks so amazing. And any, yeah, anyway, so. Well, I think, I think it's funny you picked up on something like that. I, I didn't even quite pick up on something that specific, but like one of my, because I mean, I, I, I'm kind of like the niece that I liked it, but I'm going to, I'm going to have a few plot things I want to talk about that I didn't love so much. And I think one thing, Denise, that I, because I, that Joe and I talk a lot, a lot about in these movies is like, if they can find their own way to be distinct visually, because, you know, it seems like at a certain point, it's like, there's only diff- so many different ways you can animate something. So you better do a really interesting job of creating this world. I, and I thought it was kind of cool that like, it, it was just such a unique setting. And I think they did like a really good job yeah. of like, like if you're going to make the whole entire movie revolve, revolve around a house and basically all take place in a house, you better do a damn good job of like creating that house. And I thought they did like a, a really good job of creating that setting. Were, were there any particular, I guess, like aspects of that house that like really like kind of stuck with you visually that you thought were like utilized really well with respect to like telling the story they wanted to tell? First of all, I love that the the house um, sort of spoke back to me. You know, mm. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it gave the house a little bit more life, a little bit more personality. And then I was struck by how um, infinite um, the the house actually really felt. So in the sequences where she finds Bruno in that sort of back room and behind the painting, um, the rafters, the, the house in, in each individual room, I think also had so much individual personality. So uh, Luisa's room looked a certain way. Issa's room is full of flowers. Um, I, I think obviously it was such a colorful house, but every, every sort of um, moment that we could see a different part of the house felt intentional and it felt really intricate. So I, I was like, wow, it, it, everything was really sort of studied. So I, I was um, impressed. I also really liked how the house, like I used the term sentient, almost tongue in cheek earlier, but in a way it kind of is in so much as, you know, it's like the one member of their family that doesn't like actually like judge Mirabelle at all like right. she is able to interact with it just as easily as anyone else there's that moment where she's having to run up to try and save the flame and like she gets there before anyone else because like she's like smarter about how to go about utilizing the house to actually get up to the top like that which is something I really like appreciated that you know one of my larger story things I appreciated was just that like you know it, it was basically everyone but our protagonist that really needed to learn a lesson. Like she, she learned a little bit more about like what her role in the family should be. But like, I kind of liked that. Like she was just uh, she, the, in, in the eyes of that house that they valued so much. Like she was just as like worthy of being able to utilize as many gifts as anyone else. Uh, Joe was, 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 was there any, was there any other aspect of it? Like I saw you nodding a little bit when Denise was talking about just how the depth of that house and how like far inward it was able to go. What, what, what did you think about it, that rendering overall? Cause I, I do think one of the more uh, memorable like stretches of this movie is where she is like running down Bruno. And it, I mean, it's always, it's always, in, it's always cool in movies where there's a character that's talked about and they're able to like uh, have the restraint not to show that character for a long time. And, 
And so that in and of itself is a pretty like fun little stretch, but like just everything they're able to do in that chase scene is pretty, was, was pretty cool to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously like one of the best things in fiction is like something that's bigger on the inside. Right. You know, like you <laughs> have like a tiny little bag and then you hop in and it's like a whole world. So like, I felt like that the movie utilized that really well. Uh, specifically the house I loved how like individualized the little elements were you know like when they were put like when the house moves the shoes to people's feet like the individual floorboards are popping up or it's the individual like shingles on the roof and stuff like that so I thought that was really cool and then um, does that take a lot more effort to do I mean not to make you get too animation nerdy but like to be able to like pick a thread or like (laughs) have like one shingle out of like a hundred do something like that is that a lot more work than it like probably even seems like just for like something that small Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, um, cause usually like, you know, in a CG animated film like this, you would build like an entire set within the computer and then everything that needs to move has to be animated and rigged. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're moving individual floorboards and you have to rig those floorboard floorboards to move and stuff, and you're, and if you're rigging individual things in the structure of a house, it's like that, yeah, that's a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're able to, I mean, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, Disney spends like, 100 100 200 million dollars making these movies so i mean like they have the budget for it but still you know it's it's a lot of work to not only do that but to put as much personality into it as they did hell and even like when you keep having to go when they keep having to go back and forth showing like a version of it that's cracked and then a version of it's not cracked and then a version of it that's fixed like that you know when you think about like a lot of animated like settings like like i mean a a lot of animated movies like obviously it's going to take a lot like for instance in any pixar movie to like do as much with they, they, they as they do with characters' faces and stuff like that, or whatever. But a lot of times, just the actual setting is the one thing that you probably just do and you don't have to worry about. You know, yeah. here you're having to like constantly change the background along with everyone else. So I, that's like a degree of difficulty that I really, until we started talking about it, I, I, really, I don't even know if I was giving it that much credit for it. More so, just like that they had the the, the choices they made to to how they just like. Uh, rendered the house in the first place but to actually like go back and forth as much as they did to like the different stages this house goes through as it's literally crumbling i guess is actually pretty impressive in and of itself before you get to the how different each of these rooms looks i i think yeah just the technical i'm I'm always struck by how you know i i watch the newest sort of cg animated film and the the thread was something actually that (laughs) caught my eye joe as well it's like yeah (laughs) you know being able to see how different fabrics also are rendered because mm-hmm. it, it's pretty intricate you know i have family in guatemala as well and so when you see like an artisanally lit knit, uh, knit like woven sort of thing it's very difficult to render it so i i see this those details and i'm like sort of struck by how how more detailed we get with with each passing film i think we'll we'll, we'll get really lifelike if it's at all possible mm-hmm um yeah. you know in the next one so well i mean like don't i mean it's joe's dream to like you know work in animated movies so don't just like render animation meaningless and just like say it's all just going to be like basically like turn into live action on us but uh i, w- I want to back up for a second because like and go back to where like joe was talking a little bit about like when i when i was asking joe about like what it meant to how something works as a disney's movie specifically because uh joe was mentioning a little bit about how like uh it's, it's not necessarily a traditional setup as far as like her not being a princess even if this is kind of like its own powerful family in and of itself and that was one of the things i actually like really kind of appreciated about the movie because i had some issues again i, I keep referencing with the plot that I, i'm going to talk about next but i didn't want to go all negative to start i actually really like the story choices this makes and that like uh one like you said not a princess thing we have, have, have a bit of a switch up from that uh two uh not a traditional villain uh and which is something that like you know there's a lot of great disney villains out there but i like the bold choice of like not really having one uh 
Three, I and the thing that like really stood stuck with me, as I said before, a lot of times like the the old grandma figure is like kind of like the the kindly one that passes on a lot of sage wisdom in a movie, and and not necessarily the one that actually is like uh, needs to learn a lesson. And here, like I what I really liked is that I think a lesser version, not I don't want to say a lesser movie, but a movie that like wanted to follow a more traditional format, it's going to have its protagonist like. Uh, have to learn some kind of lesson and then maybe as a result, like get rewarded with the powers in the end that she is like lamenting the fact she doesn't have in the beginning. And so I really like the fact that like, you know, it just kind of turned that formula upside down for a moment and was like, uh, we're going to make Mirabelle like basically probably like the best person in this family. And that like, she, you're conditioned to think she's just going to be like resentful of everyone as she's like watching how everyone has these powers. And she like genuinely has like a good attitude about it and is like excited for her little cousin and like has a really good attitude. And, and and is really like the one just having to like kind of show everyone the error of their ways, whereas normally it's like we have to watch someone learn a lesson. And I'm like, that's kind of cool that like a movie for kids doesn't have its point of entry character necessarily be the one that has to like learn a lesson. And I'm wondering, as, as you're watching a movie like this, I don't know how much you actually learned about the plot going in, but did you find yourself like kind of taken aback by like how they kind of introduced this family to us and the, the, the dynamics? Like, was there anything about it that like kind of struck you as like, oh, that's a little different. And I kind of like that, like they're taking that approach as opposed to, I don't know, maybe something else I might've been conditioned to expect in a movie like this. Yeah. I think you really hit on a lot of the things I appreciated. I Mm -hmm. think we've seen, you know, I've watched, I love animation. I've watched my fair share of, of Disney uh, films. And what I've noticed is that it seems like, you know, with frozen, we got sort of the first foray into like exploring a a sort of complex relationship between two sisters who've had the trauma of losing both of their parents. I think that premise was really interesting. And, and I appreciated how, um, how it unfolded in the first frozen. And I think that's why I liked it so much when I first saw it. Um, But I think it's interesting how um, some of the more complex sort of thoughts that you have about an extended family and especially in Colombia where people you know three generations might live together and that provides opportunity for people to butt heads to have misunderstandings Mm. about one another I actually thought you know for this to be not only you know a children's film and for it to only have been sort of an hour and 40 minute runtime there were questions that were explored there about you know the fact that um Issa I was struck by the fact that Issa said that she you know I'm, I'm perfect, but I have all of this expectation and no one expects anything from you um, because you don't have a gift. And I think like um, we, we might have, you know, jealousies or, 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 or um, we might not truly understand a family member until we can sort of heal those fissures. And so obviously, you know, not to like extrapolate, um, you know, the house literally crumbling and the foundations of the family, but obviously those, those themes um, are sort of interwoven. And I think this was to me a really interesting way to explore um, how we fit in our family and what it means to be a little bit different and, and still feel the warmth and the love and that you belong. I think it's actually mm-hmm. quite, quite interesting. So, yeah, Joe, was there a particular dynamic in the, within that family that you enjoyed watching develop throughout the movie or any other real storytelling choices they made with how they like decided to like show the different fissures in that family that really st- struck you? Yeah, like I found the I found Bruno's whole arc very interesting. Like the whole story with Bruno, in the sense that, you know, sometimes like it's easy. Like you know, you you hear the expression like the black sheep of the family, right? And it's like this person's just a little bit odd, or this person doesn't get along with us and stuff. And it kind of presented the opportunity to kind of really show 
that nobody's like too far gone you know what i mean like and like even though there are these differences there there's still this love there i mean like bruno is literally living within the walls of the house congregating with rats you know like stealing food from the kitchen kind of stuff you know Mm -hmm. it's like you know how tragic was his little place setting sorry to interrupt you joe i was like crying i was like bruno no i love the little telenovela nod where he's like yes it's complicated because just this is (laughs) which i thought was great but um it kind of it kind of really shines a light on how sad sometimes familial differences can be because you know i mean it these are like these these fissures these cracks never come from a lack of love it's usually just you know i mean in this case it's like everybody has their role and because you know um you know maribel's problem uh, uh, problem maribel's status as a as sort of a black sheep of the families she doesn't have a power right bruno's problem was that he got a power but people didn't like his power you know right. and um what i found very illuminating in the um if you watch like the end of the film like the very very end of the film like in the last you know, five minutes or so when Bruno's reuniting with members of the family, Bruno actually attempts to, like, he explains, like, what he meant with some of his visions and stuff, and, like, it's not even, it's not even things that are, like, that sinister, you know, so it's just, like, it's, you know, it's, uh, like, just, I thought this movie tackled misunderstandings within families very well, and, um, like, and I think they did that very artfully through Bruno, who, um, that whole, thread line was probably my favorite story element of this you should say that um I, sh- I don't even know if i mentioned that mirabelle is voiced by stephanie beatrice who a uh most people might probably know from brooklyn 99 though i'm pretty sure she's got a, she's probably just like actually a good friend of women miranda's too not to say she's not deserving of a part in this movie but like she was also in uh he he, he guest starred on brooklyn 99 for a little bit of a stint mm-hmm. and she was also in in the heights earlier this year so uh it, 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 made, it kind of made sense she popped up here and bruno is voiced by john Leguizamo, who's the other like uh really notable person to uh lend, lend their voice to this movie and he is also, I, I, I don't know, I don't know if he was born in Columbia, Denise, but I'm, pre- I don't, or if you even know that, but I'm pretty sure, like, I looked it up and he's at least, like, has Colombian parents. And yes, uh, I think so- every member of this cast, because even my personal uh, heartthrob, like, Maluma has a, he's, he's, um, he's the one um, who is supposed to marry, like, betrothed to oh. um, Issa. Yeah. Wait, you, wait, you just mean you thought the, the the actor that plays him is like attractive, or yeah, you just yeah, Maluma is oh. like super big reggaeton singer, and oh, I okay, just oh, saw I didn't him know. In concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just oh, saw him in concert. oh, okay. So when I when I heard, I go, "This is Maluma's voice." I know it's it's so sad that I knew that. I was like, "This is Maluma's oh. speaking voice." And oh, then okay. I was like, "Oh my god!" And I found out it was like, like, <laughs> fun little Easter egg. Yeah, like, no. Okay. okay, no, I forgot. So I I I I think I just forgotten that. So Stephanie Beatrice's uh uh father is Colombian, her and her mother's Bolivian. I just forgot that because I remember looking it up. I was like, "Oh, she was born in Argentina." Maybe they just thought that was close enough. So they actually did a good <laughs> job of like uh finding people that like actually were like uh, at least at least part Colombian to like be in this movie. But like I I, I just wanted to like shout him out before I talked uh, you know a little more about Bruno. But I I oh, can I make one point real quick. Yeah, yeah, um, go ahead. Just on this through line, really refreshing that the casting reflected the country and the setting of the movie, especially when we heard Tina Fey's voice come out of a black man in <laughs> Seoul last year. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I was going to speak to that too, Joe. I'm glad you brought it up because um, Colombia is such a, a rich, colorful culture and country. And so you have, you know, I have friends of mine who are Afro-Latino from Colombia, you know, and then you also have people who have um, a lighter skin tone who might have a different 
uh, background. And so this like sort of rich tapestry of, of culture that is so sort of one-sidedly represented by, you know, violence and, and um, narratives about, uh, you know, drug warlords and Pablo Escobar's like sort of what people associate a lot of Colombia with. And it's so sad because it's not true. Like the, the food, the music, the people are so nice and inviting and, and so vastly different. It is, it is a large country. So um, I agree. I thought it was great to see um, like the true Colombia sort of re reflected in in um, in the casting and, and visually. So it also things seems like Joe and I'm guessing you would agree since you probably you probably follow this stuff even a little more closely than I do. We're like, we're like five years removed from a movie that like I think is objectively like a good movie on its own merits, but like Kubo and the Two Strings had like a mostly white cast. Oh. Uh, and like it, it seems like all the animation studios have like kind of figured out what the right thing to do in that regard is. So uh, glad that like it sh maybe shouldn't have taken to like, you know, uh, 2019, 2020, 2021 for them to like figure all that out. But uh, it's cool that like this movie showed like, look, you can, if, if you look in the right spots, you can find people to like voice your movie that actually are reflective of the characters there. But yeah, like, I, 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 I just want to say overall though, like I, I, I really kind of like, I really like that voice performance from John Leguizamo because that's like a, it's a complex thing to do where that character comes in so late and you really do feel like a lot of the hurt he has had. And that's probably like some of the most effective stuff in the movie. One, because like, I like how that, that was written. I like him and Mirabelle's conversations. And you guys already talked about like some of the, some of the, the, the best animation was just some of the details in his little hideout. And so I, I really, I really liked all that. I want to move for a second to some of the stuff that like maybe bothered me a little bit more. And I'm curious what your guys thinking was on this stuff, because one, on the one hand, I kind of respect like having the restraint to like wait to show him until that part of the movie in, in, in so much as they obviously wanted to like clearly like lay the ground rules from this family, though maybe that family was a little too big. I don't know, because there's a lot of characters and like it's 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 a lot to get to. And then because my biggest thing is I think the movie kind of wraps up a little too quickly. And I mean, there, for one, like, I mean, not that like everyone, everyone needs to like get the shout out that works in the movie. The credits are like 18 minutes long. Uh, like, I, cause I remember like thinking like, oh, this is like an hour and 50 minute movie. And then like being like caught off guard when it ended. And I thought that like, like I said before, I kind of liked that the old lady is the one that has to learn the lesson in this movie, but it was also, it was a little frustrating at times though. I guess, you know, you can't expect all actors, all characters in your movies to be totally rational actors, but like, it felt like they, it was like, all right, we're just going to like irrationally blame the black sheep here or the other black sheep in Mirabelle uh, for just like, you know, everything that's going wrong and not going to really actually have these characters investigated at all or take it all that seriously and just get mad. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you don't have time for everything, but you know, what, and one of the more visually dynamic sequences of the movie is when she goes into Isabel's room and, uh, and because, because of the prophecy that she has gotten Bruno to uh, show her, she thinks she needs to like make amends with her sister and Isabel for, one because she like ruined her proposal or something and to denise's uh crush or whatever crush, yeah yeah, I, one. <laughs> yeah I, I guess you were you would have been happy if they never made it because uh, that would have opened up a spot for you but you know, know. <laughs> but, but, but i mean she's mad about that but like also just like mad about like we're not really sure what like she's just very very angry and like just like you've ruined my whole life it's like how is it seems like you're the one that's like your life's too perfect and there's something to be said for like having the pressure to be perfect and i, I don't think it's bad that like she had the uh that's a bad thing to be sad about and the expectations of that. And I get where uh, the emotions come from that would lead to a song like the one she sings, but it's kind of like she, they just go in there and they argue and then she sings a song and they make up and they, uh, and, and, and then like, well, not long after that, the, like it seems like they've made it made up. The grandma's still very mad. 
and then the house falls apart and then the grandma apologizes and the movie is kind of over. And I'm wondering, like, when you said that you yourself had a couple critiques, Denise, I'm wondering if that's kind of where your head was at or if you had any other thoughts as to, like, some other kind of, like, uh, plot mechanics or storytelling choices that maybe didn't work for you quite as much in the grand scheme of things. Because as I've already kind of described, like, you know, I liked a lot of the story the movie was trying to tell, just maybe not some of the plot armor it used to get there. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually, because I, I, I found it a bit hard to believe that after we've excommunicated Bruno and I thought about this, I was like, you know, wasn't Mirabelle like a lot younger when she because she's 15, I think. And then she was supposed to get her gift at five. So Bruno's just been hanging in the rafters for 10 years. And then <laughs> suddenly he's back in the fold in the family. Like, I, I know that we can forgive, you know, we try to forgive our family members, but it feels like if it was that bad for him to not come back, you know. Um, so I think it, between that and, you know, grandma sort of coming to her senses after having, you know, that 50 years of, of believing in this house, I, I, I would have thought, you know, she would come, it would be less likely for her to come around. And then to, to under, like when you have, um, you know, even when someone ostensibly has a toxic trait or a toxic um, idea of something, I, I find that it's probably very difficult for that person to let go of that worldview and so obviously as a house is crumbling especially an old person old people are pretty entrenched in the views (laughs) yes exactly i find an older person who's had 50 years to feel and a certain way about um how the family should function and how the house should function um wouldn't be so reticent i think to you know ready to 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 um to apologize so i i think it it resolved that way a bit quickly and then i also found when i think her name is lisa right when lisa's powers start faltering and she Mm -hmm. gets a bit weaker i actually thought it was really interesting for the the family members who had a gift to talk about what were sort of the shortcomings of having a gift i feel like if that maybe it would have had to be a much longer film but i thought that was more sort of rich um than you know like okay hey i have this power and then i'm doing this like obviously we had to build you know antonio needed to have his um his moments we understood what the ceremony sort of looked like and what gaining a gift or a power is like in, in, in the family. But I feel like if, if we had explored that a bit more and, and um, maybe we had gotten into the nitty gritty a little bit earlier that versus like, we're just going to solve all this in 30 minutes. Like when I saw that we had about 30 minutes left and like, we were, you know, we, the house is like crumbling and like, Oh, we, we got to figure it out. I was like, I I don't know how we're going to wrap this up in a bow, but I'm, We'll, we'll see what happens. So the, 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 I would say that was, you know, my, my take on, on, yeah, so, on what so, I so, so, so at the end, and I mean, it's a fitting ending and you know, the, that it make, I, I, I like the ending point they decide they needed to get to where like everyone else would help the rest of the people that they had helped for so long. We're going to help them. I, I kind of like what Denise said there though, as far as like, let's just say like, let's just say they weren't going to end up like getting their powers back. Uh, it would have been nice to like, for them to like actually confront what that might mean. Uh, and because like, you know, it seems like all of their identities are like very much wrapped up in their powers. And maybe that's, I think Mirabelle is probably a more well-adjusted person f- because mm-hmm. she does, she doesn't have that kind of like just part of herself that like, you know, is kind of dominates everything else. And as you said, Lisa just kind of like, uh, runs, runs around just like freaking out that like, she's, she's all of a sudden like feeling weak and, uh, just can't really like lift anything. And it's like, all right, well, uh, you know. That, that 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 shouldn't like mean that your life is over as you know it you know uh-huh so i i liked i like that point that you uh I, I like that point that you made denise and you could have like easily said that for like a few of the other characters that are just there for comic relief you know uh 
as I, as I mentioned before, like, yeah, the credits are long, but like, I don't think an hour and 40 minutes, like without credits is too long for a kid's movie. You know, like if, if, if we're talking like two hours, like, I don't, I don't think an animated movie necessarily needs to be that much. I mean, joke, j- joke and maybe speak to that better than me is the guy that like, in theory, like is, is, is would one day be writing these movies. But like, I, I think like if you'd had an extra like 10 to 15 minutes, this movie wouldn't have been too long for, for, for the, for the younger demographic either. I mean, Joe, were there any other things you thought maybe it could have like done a little differently in the, in, in that final act or was your head kind of in the same place as ours? Well, I think, you know, a big strength in the movie is that it's a very big ensemble piece and mm. it highlights, a, it's very much a family story, but I do think that kind of drags on it a bit as well. Cause as it was getting to the end, they had so many different characters to service that at times like other elements of the story could feel shortchanged. Cause I think, at the end, it's really important to know that like Abuela has um, mended her relationship with Mirabelle because there's been that discord there. And I feel like they like just hit the number they needed with uh, in terms of scene count and really trying to get their struggle, you know, like front and center. But yeah, like it could have benefited from more of that, you know, and then, you know, you look at different members of the family, like we spent a lot of time with Louisa and like her losing her strength. Right. Or how uh, the shape shifting cousin, like can't control his shape shifting. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have, um, and forgive me, I can't remember all the names. There's the, the one that controls the weather. Or the... Yeah. But yeah, the yeah, but she, yeah. Pippa, she controls the weather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, um, you know, like our, our cousin who could hear everything, like, I don't, we never really get a moment of her losing her ability, you know, and, you know, we don't see Bruno, lose his fortune telling ability he tells a fortune in the movie right so and then you know i mean and while i'm sticking to bruno too um i was a little disappointed bruno didn't figure into the ending much like i think he literally yeah I grandma agree. Uh, sorry grandma um, abuela and maribel make up and then he literally comes charging out of the foliage there's not there's and, not there's not a real ending to figure into it's like you know like she like the house falls apart and then she apologizes and they rebuild the house. Like, I mean, I and guess it regains could... its powers, right? It's I like, I, the I, power I, of love. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like what they could have done is they like Mirabelle and Abuela could have made up and then they're like, we got to go bring Bruno back. And then there could have been like a search yeah, for Bruno to really bring the family back together. But I think he literally busts out of the foliage. And then he says, I feel like I missed a lot. And I'm like, yeah, man, you missed the climax of the movie. Like, <laughs> well, and, and also, uh, yeah, and, and, um, Alma, and Alma doesn't really have a, um, have powers either. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it would have been kind of interesting for like the two characters that actually don't have powers and now have to have to work together, like had to like, you know, navigate this, uh, navigate some kind of obstacle themselves to like figure mm-hmm. it out. You know, that would have been, that would have been cool. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree there. Um, let me, back up for a second again and ask you guys you already talked about we don't talk about bruno as like kind of the one big show-stopping number i i actually don't i actually the movie the, the music on the whole like I, I would agree that that's probably the best song in the movie though it's not something that i feel like i would have as much fun singing as you know maybe some of the more iconic disney songs that are out there and there just weren't a ton of earworms there for me uh, you know, and I, I guess maybe I expect a little more out of Lin Manuel Miranda when, like, I hear he's gonna like do the music for a movie. I'm hoping he's gonna, you know. And there are a few things that sounded a little more like, you know, what you might think of when you think of like Hamilton or In the Heights or something like that. But there are other other songs there that just, I don't know, didn't really stick with me. And I've now watched the movie twice, and I don't really remember how uh, how a lot of those songs really sound or feel beyond we don't talk about Bruno, which again, uh, I agree with you guys in that like. It was actually really impressive on my second watch when I could 
focus on the lyrics a little bit more. It, it does a lot of like exposition in a fun way and telling you a lot about the family. But there wasn't a lot else there for me, at least, that really stuck with me musically, though I'm the first to admit on a lot of these podcasts that like I am like the worst music fan. I'm very bad at like picking up on things in songs or really comprehending them or really like listening to them in the first place, because whenever you see me walking around with earphones in, it's probably a podcast. It's not a song. I'm just not a music guy. So I'm wondering, Denise, uh, what? Uh, am I just being like a little bit of a, uh, um, a lazy audience member here and not paying close enough attention? Were there a couple other songs in this movie that you were like, oh, I actually really like what they did with that one or any other of the musical sequences that, uh, that we didn't already touch on that you thought really deserved a shout out or something? I honestly, I will say, I would say that I, I largely agree. I, it made me think a lot of like, a lot about, um, oh my God, the musical by uh victor hugo i it's it's oh hunchback and Neutron. no um oh. oh my god it's the, the the french one the very long one in tragic oh, les mis. yeah les mis yeah. that's what it made me think of um it made me think of les mis and that sing-songy like and here's what's happening and obviously there's that musical element that lin-manuel miranda brings but i i did feel that like the opening number was one that i feel like lyrically and sort of thematically and like as a as a concept of i'm going to listen to this over and over again the repeatability wasn't there but i really liked surface pressure which was oh, yeah. uh, luisa's song i thought it was the lyrics are really good i could see myself returning back to it um i haven't done a deep dive into the encanto like album so i'll i'll probably listen mm. to it and and we can talk more about that, but I think if I had to listen to two songs, it would be Service Pressure and we don't talk about Bruno. Joe, um, what about, but, oh, sorry, so, go ahead. No, no, no. No, finish your, no, finish your, finish your <laughs> point. I, I thought you were done. Um, finish your point. No, one thing that is interesting, I mean, uh, like I said, not an expert by any means on Colombian culture, just what I can speak to. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Carlos Vives, who's like very well known in Colombian um they merged both Colombian pop because I think the the Caterpillar song is by um, Sebastian Yatra, who's like a very well-known contemporary pop singer. Um, but Carlos Vives brought like cumbia and like traditional folk music, which there's quite a lot of it and, and a diverse amount in Colombia to the movie. So I think it's like when, you know, he's talking about, you know, uh, Encanto, like for the love of Colombia, like when he's talking about, when he's singing that, I thought that was, it was great to bring, you know, there's so much music um, in Colombian culture and history. So I thought it was, it was kind of a nice uh, uh, nod and, and moment, but I agree on, in terms of Lin-Manuel Miranda's songs, like a lot of it exposition wise, like it, it was good, but not for me, like, I'm not going to come back and, and sing like poor unfortunate souls for example so yeah. well it's so interesting that they like again it sounds like just based on what i'm at least hearing from you they did a pretty good job of uh you know checking in and like or of like taking their inspiration and taking a lot of the, the the foundation for some of the music from for the movie from the from the right places even if maybe there weren't any like real show as many show stopping like earworms as we had been hoping for uh joe did you have any other thoughts on the music or musical numbers yeah, um, I was going to say that, uh, well, first of all, like, um, it would have been impossible for Lin-Manuel Miranda to follow Moana, which I do think is a top five Disney animation film. Just the songs are killer, like the story's incredible, yada, yada, et cetera. I could talk about Moana for a while. But I was going to say, like, I feel like all these songs, like, they work really well within the context of the film, right? Like, in each scene it comes, it's like, it's beautifully done, everything. But, you know, like, like you both have been saying, like, there's really no um, particular earworm. Like there's no, there's no like let it go or how far I'll go or 
insert Disney song here with the word go in the title. And I, um, and I, and I think you're right that we can't like, it's like kind of unfair to like expect every Disney movie to have a let it go. But like, I, I don't know if there's anything that's like, even in the neighborhood of that and this, I guess is what I'd say. I will say I really did enjoy surface pressure. And one of my favorite things about the movie that I'm glad I have the chance to talk about briefly is the donkeys <laughs> yes. surface pressure and the escalating comedy with them. Like, was just both terrifying and like amazing. Like I, I just like the the sight of the unicorn donkey is just forever burned in my brain. <laughs> this I will say the visually surface pressure was one of my favorite sequences as well. Mm-hmm. It's just a really fun. It was for the the fun and the love of it was so playful and I mm-hmm. really appreciated that in in a film that otherwise had some some heavy heavy undertones. So. Yeah. Like they, they like rendered a Hercules too. And I thought they were going to like, uh, when she says Hercules and you see the thing, I'm like, oh, are they going to cameo like the Disney Hercules? But no, they didn't do that. But, you mm. know, like I was, I was curious if they were going to like drop a little Easter egg in there, but um, no, like that song was a lot of fun. And then there's even like the, um, and I, I, the donkeys standing on their hind legs and kind of doing like the little arm swish thing or whatever, like they're, yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, I, I will not soon forget. I, I like I, I did like I did, I liked a lot of the stuff. They, well, I, I liked a lot of the stuff they did with animals in this movie. You know, it's just it's an easy it's, it's an easy way to get a to get a laugh out of me to have you know animals making fun reactions to things and whatnot. And they did it well in the in the scene in Bruno's hideout, but also just you know when they when they when they brought in the cousin that could talk to them, like he was able to like you know provide a little extra comic relief in that regard. And like, it, it, without like the movie having to spend too much time on it, it's a nice it's just a nice little thing to add in there to um, have have. A little extra humor and i it was just something I, I i got a kick out of and i appreciated it and and in moments of this movie that were you know otherwise kind of serious it's like oh no we can we can still have a little fun too denise is there anything else that we didn't touch on yet before we wrap up that you wanted to uh discuss in the movie um no i really i think that we we touched on everything that struck me i oh i'll give the little anecdote just because i think it's kind of a funny a funny story so my i think I don't know how well versed the three of us collectively are on um, Spanish like curse words, but um, <laughs> the Spanish word for shit is mierda. And so like when there's a moment where um, Maribel and her father, like Maribel is like, oh, this is all happening. And like, uh, I, I broke into Bruno's tower. And, and so he's like, not sure what to say. He's like, we, we need to make sure this is great. And so he, he hears like a, a noise downstairs and instead of saying mierda you know he's gonna say he says miércoles and that's something which means wednesday it's very very close so that's something my dad says so when i heard that i was like oh my god um, <laughs> my dad doesn't say it he'll say miércoles so i i was really struck by by those little details um and that's what i appreciate and i think anyone who has any interest or knowledge of of colombian uh history and culture will really appreciate that about this film i think you know for um my friends um, and obviously family members who have seen the film, they're like, it It just feels great to see um, the really beautiful, positive aspects of Colombian culture um, represented and also within a family. Like, I think it's important to, you know, Coco was about um, a very specific family and then um, the Madrigal family is totally different. It's a different narrative. And like, we need to be sort of um, uh, intentional about, what sort of story we're telling it. The Madrigal family could only be from Colombia. And, and, and with that, like the, the intricacies of, of, of that family unit. So I will say um, with all of the, the little 
details and and um and things that I could like nitpick I appreciated that over on obviously how visually stunning I also I also saw I also heard and now it makes sense when I'm looking at the um like the cast list on Wikipedia, they did a whole Spanish language dub version of the movie. I don't really know what that looks like, but I, I, I'm assuming they like actually kind of, you know, I don't know, synced up the animation for that too. I don't know how much additional work that is. I'm guessing it's a, it takes a decent amount, at least from the, um, you know, to work the mouths the right way on that. But I mean, that's kind of cool. They did something like that too, for, you know, any audiences in Colombia or just any other Spanish speaking countries that, that Disney like went to the lengths to do that. Uh, Joe, any other, uh, anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't already discuss before we, uh, before we wrap this one up? Well, I'm so glad Denise talked about the, uh, the miracles things. I remember like, I, I did know what miracles was like from Spanish class in high school. And I was like, I was like, Oh, that's funny. He said that. And then I was just like, it's a little random, but that, that, <laughs> like, oh, like I, I love that so much more. I wish, I wish my Spanish was better. Like I, I, if, if you had said, I, I think I would have actually, if, if you had said, what does miracles mean? I think I would have eventually gotten to it, but like, I haven't taken a Spanish class in like senior year of high school. I mean, I, I wish I really knew it way better than I did, especially living in South Florida. It would make me like so much more useful of a person, but like I, if I, and who knows if I'd taken it for four years in college, maybe I would have gotten pretty good at it since I'd taken it in high school. But like, I got the, I, I, uh, I, I actually, I'm not going to go down that whole digression about why I didn't end up taking Spanish in college. It's like a five minute story in and of itself, but uh, sorry, oh, no. <laughs> Joe, sorry, sorry, uh, Joe, any other, uh, I'm sorry. Any other thoughts? Oh, I was going to say too, now that Disney animation's kind of getting, I mean, now that the, um, I got to say this in a way that's clear now that Walt Disney animation studios seems to be getting into TV series for Disney plus, um, which is a separate division from like the TV animation. I think this movie lends itself really well to like, a yes. Series. Yeah, just totally with the whole, great. the whole village, like everybody's different powers and stuff. Like, oh, you I, could, yeah, you give every one of those people their own show. I mean, that yeah. that would be that would that would be a lot better than squeezing them all into one movie. I would. I'd not also want to know when, how the powers manifested. Like when the uh, um, they got the weather. Like, mm-hmm. how crazy is it to be young and then start having like a cloud over your head? It would be great <laughs> to know what what the in- inception of these powers were like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd love to see more. No, uh, th- th- that's a good point. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like that they certainly gave themselves plenty of runway if they wanted to do to do something like that. There, yeah. Uh, I think, I, I think that's about it. I, I mean, I guess it sounds like we would all uh, recommend this movie. I mean, like again, I have my criticisms, but I think, on, I think on the whole, it's like I, I just really respect that. Like it, it went away from the traditional like Disney format with respect to the story, and I think, I think it's, I think it's kind of cool that like to be able to even create anything that's this compelling. I guess without you know, without even having a traditional villain, like, which is just like not the norm in Disney movies. I think that, I think that says something. And I, I'd be curious to see like how, just how little kids are reacting to it. Cause uh, I just don't, if I'm still doing this in three years, it'll be really fun to like that. Joe will have a kid that's like, I, I is, a, is a better gauge for this stuff. Uh, but like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like if kids are getting really into it. Cause I don't know if there's a lot of great sing-along songs necessarily uh, for the most part, but like, you know, if, if, if they're still like engaged enough with the story, I think that's an accomplishment in and of itself to be like, you don't just need to have a movie about a princess and a bad guy or something like that you know um all right before we get out of here joe is there anything else you've been watching recently you want to recommend uh i watched coda um mm. the other day and i really enjoyed that and yeah Listen- i'll say to you one final note on Encanto. um yeah a, a tough year for bruno's really from uh, yes okay. i just watched uh, luca i was thinking yeah. about this oh too. god they really hate bruno and the <laughs> animation studio <Yeah. laughs> Silencio, Bruno. 
It's Silencio Bruno Reyes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I was about to ask you where this where this stacked up to the other animated movies this year, Joe. But I think I think we'll we'll touch on that if you come back for the top ten podcast. Uh, oh yeah. So absolutely. well, I'll I'll make you do that then. But yeah, no, Coda. Glad you checked that out because that's one that's going to start hopefully getting some more awards attention. It got kind of got dubbed as that, you know, back when it came out. But Apple TV Plus hasn't had like a a real Oscar player yet necessarily. I mean, I, I was really upset last year when Boy State didn't even get a best documentary nomination because uh, that was one of my, I think one of my 10 favorite movies of last year. So uh, hopefully people find Coda and uh, give it give it a shot because it's a, it's, a, it's a really nice, lovely little film. Denise, I know you've been very busy uh, packing for a big move, but uh, have you been watching anything else on TV or movie-wise you want to shout I, out? I do. I have a, I have a recommendation for you, Josh. It yeah. made, me, made me happy because I was like, I need to come in with something. Yeah. Um, but I actually started watching, so I don't know if either of you have hate watched, have watched any any episode of um, Emily in Paris, but I watched the first season last year. This is not what I'm going to recommend. We're going to, we're going to start here, but we're going to get to a, a, a okay, better okay, okay. ending here. <laughs> um, so I started watching season two and I was like, not even like hate watching this is going to work. I, I like absolutely can't, I can't get through this. I hate it. Cause even season one was kind of fun, but season two is a rehash of the worst qualities of season one. So I was like, I've never, right. I've never watched Emily in Paris. Is, is I forgot. Does the main character, she's not in advertising. Is she, she's in, she's in. Something. No, she is. I think she's in marketing. Oh. Oh, okay. I was, like, was going to say, like, I didn't know if that would like offend you even more if like something stuff in that yeah, show. Yeah, she was an advertising that. person from Chicago. And I was oh, like, oh, gosh, wow, this is me if I had been <laughs> awful. You know, <laughs> I was just a terrible person. Um, but I I was like, I wonder if there's any sort of French language thing that I haven't taken a look at. Because I actually really, you know, I watch Korean dramas. I've seen Bollywood films. I've seen, I, I like foreign films in general. So I was like, mm-hmm. let's see what we have. And I actually started watching Call My Agent. Mm, which, I've heard about this one. Yes. Yeah, so this is, it's actually very funny. Um, the humor translates well. Um, and I, I've just been watching them subtitle. I think all four seasons are on, uh, are on Netflix, but it's basically about um, like a talent agency that has celebrities and, and it, the, the comedy sort of revolves around um, these bumbling agents trying to get their, their celebrities work. Uh, and so see, hmm. first episode um, we have this sort of aging, a uh, female celebrity aging. She's about to turn 40. Oh no. <laughs> and she's going to get cast in a Tarantino film. And then that falls through. And then she's like telling an off the record, you know, she's telling um, a journalist off the record. Yeah. It's, it's Tarantino's new movie. And this has been like a year plus in the making. And then, you know, the agent gets the text as this is all happening. And it's like, yeah, they're going with someone younger. Sorry. They're not going <laughs> with Bridget or whatever. And he's like, he just gets up and leaves. And I'm like, I understand. <laughs> so it's really funny. I would I would recommend it um, in case you you are looking for uh, like a okay. new comedy series. And it looks like four six episode seasons, which is that's actually kind of manageable. You know, I've had people like recommending longer stuff to me. Like I, everyone and especially their dads are watching Yellowstone, uh, which is oh. <laughs> which has become like the biggest thing on television apparently. And I've just like I don't have Paramount Plus. Apparently, it's on Hulu, but like that's like five seasons. And I think there are longer seasons than that. And like, I cannot tell you guys the last time I watched a show from the start that was like more than four seasons long, like where I was like, I had, like that where I, where I was starting it with already more than five seasons, four or five seasons completed, not counting the time of the pandemic between the start and when I got my vaccine, where I just didn't have as much going on. 
You know, so it's like whenever someone recommends something that's like super long, everyone's like, oh, you've ever watched Dexter? Because they put that new Dexter out. And I'm like, first of all, like that's so many episodes. Second of all, every time I ever hear anyone talk about Dexter, they talk about how awful the last season is. So it's like, how am I going to get motivated to like watch like seven episodes, seven seasons of something when the last season is bad, just so I can watch like a reboot of that thing? Like, I, I'm sorry, I can't do that. So I appreciate the recommendation of a show that has like manageable length seasons, Denise. I guess I'll recommend, I'll recommend a movie I saw on, uh, I guess New Year's Eve or New Year's Eve day. I went and saw Red Rocket. We're recording this a couple of days after that, uh, which I don't actually know if it's going to get like any real Oscar buzz. But for those of you who don't know, it's a film from Sean Baker, who did the Florida Project and Tangerine, much like he did in those movies. He uses either very not so well known actors or uh, for the most part or non professional actors. And here he, you know, did a bit of a resurrection type of thing with uh, Simon Rex, who apparently, you know, was an a couple of the screen movies did was an mtv vj had a weird rap career uh and even did some uh like like some amateur porn because and which is very fitting because the movie is about a, uh, an adult film star that goes back to his dead-end texas town and uh reconnects with people there and gets into a lot of hijinks and it is like a very charming performance for him, but incredibly challenging because the guy is a complete scumbag and the movie doesn't really like beat around the bush on that point, though he presents him as a guy that's like very charming and gets his way a lot because and despite being a bad person because of that. And it's just very challenging and how it has you feel about this character, but also like has some legitimately hilarious moments, too. And uh, a very, very interesting setting to like set this in a, you know, a beat down oil refinery type of town. So how you recommend Red Rocket if you have the chance to see it? Uh, Denise is going to have no excuses once she's settled in New York to not see all the cool stuff when she has all the theaters around her. Uh, Joe already has the LA privilege. So uh, highly recommend that to both of you guys if you uh, have the chance to check it out and um, would hope that some a lot of people would find that movie because you know I it's cool that A24 uh, funds projects like that. Uh, Joe, before we get out of here, anything you want to plug social media-wise, uh, Twitter or anything like that or whenever, um, maybe one day you'll get a letterbox? I'll just... <laughs> The letterbox thing yeah uh I'll, I'll say that uh season five of puppy dog pals which i wrote for debuts january 14th so um, oh yeah if you have children please go to the disney channel and watch it that would be very welcome thank you there you go great great one uh denise do you want to plug a letterbox or a twitter or anything like that you know what's picking up steam actually my sp- my spotify account i'm getting some 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 so i don't know if i um, you know, what? I'll just say letterbox. I'm just going to say also that if you, if you at all like me and you know, and you follow me on Spotify, thank you. I know I've been seeing those. I had, so this shows you how little I know about music. I don't have Spotify premium. I don't even know you could follow a person on Spotify. Oh like, yeah. I have 80 you, followers. So it's like you can curate playlists for those people to see. Is that what that means? Oh yeah. Oh, oh my okay. gosh. Josh, I have to oh. get you on. I have to get you on Spotify. What the heck? I mean, um, like, look, as much as I harass people about Letterbox, like I kind of deserve it if people like want to do that. Like, I, I, I mean, I post the podcast on Spotify, but that's about it. You know, that's true. Uh, my Letterbox is it was a rom-com. I unfortunately never review anymore. But once I move, I will get on that. You got to you got to You got to become movies on my to watch. You got to yeah. you, you got to get like Lisa and become a full out film girl when you when you're living in New York and you have access oh, to all no. the cool theaters and all that. Yeah, that's going <laughs> to that, 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 that's going to that's going to be you. Um, as usual, uh, I'm I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I on both uh, Twitter and Letterboxd. I mean, in a, hopefully in the next three weeks, I'll have seen all the movies I want to see for the year. So then that'll you'll be able to see everything there even before I do my top 10 podcast podcast. Twitter is 
at Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. So uh, send any feedback that way. Coming up next on the podcast, we'll have a podcast with our friend Elijah on both uh, Licorice Pizza and Being the Ricardos. I think our friend Daniel is going to join me for one about the tragedy of Macbeth and Don't Look Up. I and I don't really know. I'm trying to like, you know, as I come across these other things the rest of award season, I will uh, just be recording as much as I can on them. So uh, thanks again to Joe and Denise for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.